Hello, listeners. We said we'd see you down the road, and here we are. Welcome back to the People vs. Oscar, now coming to you annually in real time. <laughs> uh, you know, we're a couple weeks past the 2020-2021 Oscars, uh, where Nomadland took Best Picture, along with Best Director and Best Actress. And uh, because COVID shut uh, 19 shut down most of the film world for the past year. Uh, our highest grossing movie actually came from outside of the United States. Our first time this is happening since War and Peace. Uh, it would be The 800, which was a smash hit in China, is our number one global box office hit for 2020. Uh, Matt, how does it feel to be back? It feels great to be back, Chris. It's like riding a bike. It's uh, it's like we never left. It's like riding a bike with a mask. <laughs> now, yes, <laughs> riding a bike with a mask, watching movies with a mask, Finally, traveling cross country in a van with a mask, shitting in a bucket with a mask, fighting off uh, an invading army with you and your buddies while hiding in a warehouse in a mask. It was. There was uh, not a lot of social distancing going on in the 800. No, not a lot. <laughs> that warehouse was pretty cramped, but <laughs> we digress. Um, so before we started watching these things for the podcast, obviously they're both new movies. Um, Matt, were these both first time watches for you or had you um, encountered either Nomadland or the 800 organically in the past year um well i had actually already seen nomadland a few months or weeks i don't know uh before before the oscars um just because you know i had heard it was good and so so yes i had already i was already familiar with that but no i had not seen the 800 because um i mean not to dunk on china even though i'm definitely gonna later but um <laughs> why would i have you know <laughs> yeah um let me pull up box office mojo but i believe it is uh about 0.06 percent of its box office came from the u.s so it definitely had not really uh graced our one our uh country in terms of the box office but granted no movie did oh yes it made 460 million um in worldwide uh, grosses and made three hundred and seventy-two thousand in the United States. <laughs> well, hey, some people saw it in a the theater then. Exactly. Uh, but anyways, let's start with our Oscar winner, *Nomadland*. Um, actually, let's even start just a little bit broader because obviously uh, the Oscars were a bit different this year, quite a lot different. Uh, did you watch the ceremony live, Matt? And did you have any uh, thoughts or opinions? Oh, well, very uh, on brand for myself. I didn't watch the ceremony, uh, which marks two years in a row of not actually watching it for me. 
Uh, the elusive lost viewers that they're constantly trying to chase. Well, listen, here's the thing. I only, it's, it's no secret that I don't care much about the Oscars. Um, what I do care about is friendship. And so I watch the Oscars when I get to go to your viewing parties. But obviously, because of the pandemic, that wasn't able to happen this year. So if I'm not watching the Oscars at a party at Chris's place, then what's the point of watching the Oscars? So I didn't. Well, I, I, I'm honored that uh, my my parties get you to, to watch the show. It was... Uh, very, very different for, for me as well this year. I'm used to packing 30 to 40 people in my admittedly small apartment uh, to, to watch the awards. And uh, this year, didn't really pack anyone in. I uh, set up my little decorations, put on my costume, and uh, just sat around and, and watched it. But uh, I'm glad oh, you still did the decorations and the costume thing. Exactly. Um, I went as Olivia Coleman from The Father and my fiance Ken went as Anthony Hopkins in The Father and we thought that was fun. And then Anthony Hopkins won at the end when they structured the whole, sh- whole show around Best Actor and it felt very, very awkward to be in those costumes <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Some might say we, 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 we jinxed the evening, but uh, what can you say? Uh, might have. Those last minute uh, Academy voters saw your costumes and were like, oh, they nailed it. They, they really showed why, why Anthony Hopkins deserved to win. But um, just in terms of catching up with who, who won and whatnot, and probably seeing a, a good bit of the movies, what mm-hmm. did you think of the, the winners and where does Nomadland rank among your, uh, among the best picture nominees for you? Good question. Um, well, yeah. So I I only saw I think about half of the nominees. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the list. Let's see. Let's take a look. And you know, this will be a good refresher for everyone else who's listening, who's like me, who doesn't remember what they all are. So we got Nomadland, the winner, the father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. All right. So out of those eight, Matt, how many did you see? I saw one, two, three, four, five. I saw five of the eight. Ooh, nice. Okay. So, so what's your ranking of them and which ones did you had not seen? Uh, uh, okay. Well, yes, I, I didn't see trial of the Chicago seven Minari or the father. Okay. Here is, and I know we just were dunking on it, but here's my hard pitch for The Father if you haven't been sold on it yet. And I believe it's coming to, it's going to not be $20 to rent very soon. And I believe Minari is now actually rentable. So they're a little bit easier. But uh, The Father is really, really like smartly done from a filmmaking standpoint as well as an acting standpoint like they the production designers which i was like so happy they got nominated and the editing are just exquisite every time he like exits or enters a new room they change up different pieces of the furniture or or of the paint of the room and they sort of cut it in interesting ways so you feel like you're losing your mind and you're always sort of within his head space and it just does a really good job of using like interesting pieces of visual language and editing to 
it, it kind of feels a little bit like how Sound of Metal uses sound to um, show you the protagonist's point of view. It, it does similar things like that stylistically to portray dementia. And it's a really, it's also short. It's like 95 minutes, but it's a really like effective, like filmmaking piece. That's just very, it's, it's ambitiously done. I, I kind of felt, fell head over heels for the father. Yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, I wasn't, um, I definitely wasn't uh, like intentionally avoiding those three that I missed. They just sort of, and actually I, I was already intending on um, seeing Minari. I was just waiting for it to become cheaper to rent. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so out of the ones that I did see, um, I, I like ranking is tough, but uh, I wouldn't say Nomadland was my favorite. Um I would say, I would say I like most of the other ones more than it, to be honest. But 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 but, but that doesn't mean that like I didn't like Nomadland or anything because I think it's great. Like I think it's straight up great. But it's just it's um uh and and I'm not. This isn't a a negative. How do I put this? It's 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 a very quiet contemplative slowly paced movie Mm -hmm. which is amazing and it's like i found it hypnotic and i and i loved it and i uh, i was not i was never like i don't know bored or anything but i just i just tend to prefer stuff where there's more going on but i like I'm trying so hard not to make it sound like I I don't like Nomadland because I no, really and like I, hypnotics are really I, I think that's like a really good word to use for like the experience of watching it. So yeah. if, if you're saying like a lot of the other ones were a little bit higher, what was like your your absolute favorite or the one you were like really rooting for? Hmm. I mean, again, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was like really like it it should be this uh, about anything but um boy uh i think my real top two were like judas and the black messiah and sound of metal Uh, great both great movies yeah but like mank was really cool i liked that a lot I mean, yeah, they're all interesting. I, I think it was a good, um, even accounting for the fact that I, I didn't see a few of them. I, I think it was a, a pretty solid lineup. Yeah, it, it's nice, especially like, I feel like we have our, our good years and our bad years recently of of what both the people on the Oscar have submitted for us. And it, it's nice to see just like looking down the Oscar lineup almost any of these movies. I, I would say like Trial of Chicago 7 is the only one I maybe dislike. And even then there's still like merits with, within it that make it better than a green book. Uh, but there there wouldn't really, there's so many like non-embarrassing choices and a lot of the interesting ones that they have there would be such atypical winners. I, I was just really happy with, it's the in the strange year that we have, we got really, really interesting uh, array of movies to honor. And that uh, everyone but Trial Chicago 7 at least won one category. That is good, yeah. But 
diving into the winter for Nomadland. So you uh, called it hypnotic. Uh, mm-hmm. What were some of your other uh, sort of top line thoughts of uh, what it was like viewing Nomadland? When you watched it a second time, like, did you uh, have any change of perceptions or? Actually, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first time really, uh, I don't know if it was just, the day I was having or what, but it, it, it really sent me into a self-reflective sort of deep existential spiral of just like, where's my life going? <laughs> and like, and, and like, you know, that kind of thing, like sort of just, just, um, and, um, and it, it was actually the, my first time seeing it. My emotional reaction to it, kind of just because of that, was really strong. Uh, it, it it felt so it's so contemplative and reflective, and and because it's so quiet, and because it's so calm, it really you you really settle into this like like pace, and it just it's. I, I, the movie feels reflective. So it made me reflect on like myself. And I was just like, Whoa, this is like, it just felt like heavy. <laughs> and, uh, and the second time I was able to f- <laughs> like focus on the, the movie as a movie a little bit more without like feeling the weight of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I would say I, I, the second viewing increased my appreciation for, just stuff like the filmmaking and things like that. That's so great. I I love that the movie provoked such a strong emotional reaction upon like first viewing. That was something that I I kind of felt a little, little similarly, like you're kind of just absorbed into it. And then when you like watch it again, you can kind of see the nuts and bolts of how it's constructed as a film and uh, appreciate it on a new level. Right. Uh, and Frances McDormand mentioned this in her Oscar speech, but it's so interesting that this one best picture the year none of us could really go to the theaters because of all the movies I saw this year, this was the one I most wanted to see on a big screen or I'm, I'm looking for, I hope they like do some sort of like second run in, in theaters. Cause I would love to get to see it on a big screen. The, the cinematography is so gorgeous Chloe Zhao just like has a way of composing uh, the the shots. And I feel like the visual language is the driving force more than the plot, but that doesn't mean that it stays stagnant. It's still always constantly moving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And I was sort of lamenting how, you know, everyone's just seeing it at home because I, I feel very lucky because I, um, I I watch movies at home in a sort of practically a sensory deprivation chamber. I like I'm in my room with the door locked and the lights off and uh, headphones on uh, so that I can't hear literally anything outside of the movie. Someone could, someone could easily break into my house and murder me while I'm watching a movie because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know they were coming. Uh, Let, so, let's hope nobody does that, but what, what a wonderful makeshift uh, movie theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
just the way that I watch movies at home <laughs> like that, it's it's really easy to get fully immersed. And, you know, I, I, I don't have my cell phone on me. I don't like, like I'm like no distractions, uh, basically like as close to the theater experience as I can uh, in in my tiny little room, um, which I think really helps me get into like um i mean I, I like quote unquote boring movies anyway but um helps me get into a movie that's that's so like quiet and calm like nomadland in a way that uh, a lot of other people who just maybe have their tv in the living room while like a dog is running around or something <laughs> and like you know you gotta stop to answer the phone or whatever it, like probably don't have that same chance to really engage with it you know I completely agree. I uh, unfortunately am am not as good of a moviegoer at home as you are. I I've been known to multitask <laughs> during, during a, a movie. And I could say like Mank was one where I definitely liked a lot more the second time because I think I sat down a bit more. I was like I've been doing like cross stitching and other like fun sort of arts and crafts stuff to pass the time. And that actually helps me get off my phone. But I was doing that while watching Mank a second time. And I was like, oh, I'm understanding the plot so much better now. <laughs> um, but Nomadland, you know, if and maybe this just because I've talked to some people who've also really liked it, who I didn't think would like it as much. Um, I think it also sort of plays well as like a background movie in some sort of way. Like it can really involve your attention and you can get a lot out of it. But I think even just like as something beautiful to kind of have on, I think that there's a way to also like passively enjoy it. That's kind of interesting. Hmm, sure. Yeah, I can see that. I just realized we haven't even like describe the movie for yeah no the, i was just the, thinking that the, 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 the people who um hulu has buried it on but uh nomadland truly <laughs> truly truly i think i think like the mood of it is like the biggest takeaway so exactly the the stage is set uh yeah. for you to watch nomadland but uh it's on hulu it's great uh francis mcdormand plays fern uh this woman whose husband has died in her a uh, plant major plant has moved out of her town so the town is essentially extinct she's trying to figure out what the next chapter of her life is um she's also um very uh economically insecure and um houseless at the moment and she ends up uh falling into this tribe of nomads um that she uh meets during some of her gig work at Amazon and uh she essentially embarks on this nomadic lifestyle where she converts her van vanguard into her living space and travels across the country to different places and um sort of works within this interesting community and meets lots of fascinating people including um Queens, Linda May, and Swanky. <laughs> yeah. Which the Oscars were worth watching just to see Linda May and Swanky get on the stage when it won Best Picture. I was so excited about Oh, really? That. Oh, yeah. I should find a clip of that. That sounds good. Uh, it's great. Um, but I think what's also interesting, like just describing the plot of Nomadland, and tell me if you feel differently about this, Matt, but I I was preparing for something that would have would have been a bit more 
tragedy porn, like Francis McDormand really like thrust into um, this like environment and it's all about how she would struggle or the, the fates that befall her. But I loved how much more humanistic it was and it didn't bother so much with the circumstances or the setup and really more focused on the community aspect that she found. I, I just found it to be like a much more like a positive and, and enriching viewing experience rather than something that was like going to leave me like quote unquote feeling bad or whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, um, I had really no idea what to expect going in. Not no idea, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know much about the movie, so I wasn't expecting anything uh, either way. I guess tonally. Um, but yeah, it's it's really not. It's not a, a sad movie, um, and I think I think it's interesting because someone with a life like ferns someone who's in ferns situation i think a lot of people would look at that and be like oh that's that's sad like that's a sad life but um it's it it, she feels in control of her life and and kind of like i'm this this nomad life on on the road living in her van is what she wants to be doing so it's not yeah it's not um but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, the only thing is that I'm so used to watching just bonkers movies uh, that I, I couldn't help. Uh, my brain just goes to these places, tries to turn things into uh, comedies or horror movies when when they shouldn't be. Um, and the one th- the one thought that I did have was like that if this was a horror movie, the guy who was like it, the the leader of like the nomad group would would turn out to be some kind of like deranged cult leader you know (laughs) (laughs) i i want to see like all the well we we know from all the coen brothers movies that francis mcdormand can and will do zany right yeah 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 Yeah, that might have been part of it but and then what's funny about that is that um he has one of my favorite parts of the movie where he where he talks about uh, his son mm-hmm. and him and everything the whole movie um it feels so realistic mm-hmm. it's so real feel like <laughs> like it's amazing i i also just like it it was fun to learn the minutiae of their lives like scenes are constructed about them going to like like, I love them going to the RV fair and like mm-hmm. touring the really fancy one. Um, or I, I just feel like they make a meal out of moments in this movie. And I, I think you don't always know what the moments are going to add up to until it kind of gets to sort of one of your like more tentpole scenes, like her going to David Strait Aaron's house or uh, sort of like Swanky's big monologue. Like, I, I think it's just, it's well populated where you're given a lot of space to spend time with these characters. So then when like the plot engine has to kick up, it never feels like too intrusive. Yeah. And I think it even, I mean, it it makes the, the nomad life look even appealing, mm-hmm. which again, if you just described to me, like before I saw this, that there are people who just live in their cars 
and just drive across the country every all day, every day. And that's just their whole life. I'd be like, well, that sounds like a not fun. And it's still, I would never, <laughs> but, uh, I'm, a. but, but like, I can see, I can see how it appeals to a certain kind of person and I can see how it's not, it's not sad or it's not, it's not like it's, it's just a, a different, very different way of living. Mm-hmm. One of the, uh, so we talked about the three wins that it had a uh, picture director for Chloe Zhao and uh, for best actress, Frances McDormand. What did you think of uh, her performance and how this is her third Oscar? Well, technically fourth Oscar. because She also produced the movie. How does this sort of stack up for you in Frances McDormand's career? Well, it's no Michael Bay's Transformers, no, but it isn't. Uh, <laughs> sure, I mean, well, well, she's the. I mean, the when I was I was saying the movie feels so real and realistic is she's like the face of that. It Fern just straight up feels like a real person who exists. Mm-hmm. there's no there's no layer of of acting involved there's no point where i like point at the screen and go that's some good acting mm-hmm. it's just the one of the most naturalistic performances i've ever seen it's fantastic it's a really good way to like describe it to you, like naturalistic. She kind of congeals into this space with other non-actors and it's, it, it, it's really well done. One of yeah. The- like all of the, uh, all of the, sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, go I'm, ahead. I'm getting, I'm getting excited. All yeah, of, no, all of get, the, get excited. <laughs> all of the interactions feel improvised, um, which actually maybe they were, I don't know. I don't know the the process behind this movie. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little unsure as well. Because I mean, again, having pretty much everyone else be non actors, I was wondering. Oh, maybe it, maybe it is mostly improvised, um, but not in. Again, the same way that Francis McDormand gives a great performance that isn't like, look at that acting. It it doesn't feel like improv. Like, look at that improv. It's just, it feels like real people having conversations and the the way that it just allows every interaction to be mundane mm-hmm. in a way that real people talking to each other is it, it's just flawless yeah <laughs> one of the things that i really liked about the performance which i don't think i would have ever associated with Frances McDormand, someone I really, really love as a performer, is I feel like she's made the past 15 years of her career or so, not that it's all been one note performances, but she's really leaned into her sort of grouch persona and (laughs) it's wonderful and I always love seeing it. And she's like done a lot of variations on that, but I, Frances McDormand just she conjures up a very specific image of what I think a Frances McDormand performance is going to look like and Mm. that's something that's kind of hard to shed if you want to play just sort of like an every woman that 
is isn't supposed to be mo- movie star Frances McDormand who you come in with a bunch of perceptions. And I love that she does manage to do that. I, I think Fern is so different from the Frances McDormand star persona that w- we know and allows us to sort of separate separate her out and just see her as this this human, this person, Fern. And I just loved how joyous and happy she was. And I think Frances McDormand did a really good, uh, great job of exposing her her joy and sort of her discoveries. And you sort of see her recede in scenes with um, some of the people like Swanky and Linda May and like let them sort of have their command the screen or be the driver of the scenes. I, it, it, it was very un- um no ego acting which i really liked and not no ego in a way where like i'm just like looking ugly and like not having makeup but like no ego where i don't have to be felt on screen or be the driver yeah not no ego in a way that actually means like huge yeah. ego <laughs> you know <laughs> no ego in a way that's saying don't look at me rather than like look at me and look at how what i'm doing is hard uh, yeah 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 <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, sort of what you were talking about with your one of your favorite people being the guy at the end who has that big moment around, I'll see you down the road. Um, what I was really struck by, I don't, I don't know where I thought the movie was going. In fact, most of the time I felt very just along for the ride, which was like a very fun place to be. But I, I was sort of floored by the endings. Spoiler alert. It, that scene with him just so builds so well into her visiting her old home. And it just like felt like such a, such a gut punch. I, I just like felt so many emotions going through that final moment. Did, uh, did you feel sort of caught off guard by that ending? Were you sort of expecting things to go there or sort of how did all the mounting moments hit you in the end? Um, I wasn't like expecting her to go back to her old house, but it it felt right, you know, because it's like because the whole thing is that she never really said goodbye, mm-hmm. and and that's her finally doing it, and you know, emptying out the the storage unit and all that, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just felt right. I mean, th- so the first time I I watched the movie, I really wanted her to just stay with David Strathairn and his family. <laughs> you I was and like, my just, mom both. <laughs> I was like, just, just stay there. Just, just stay there. You'll, you'll be happy. Um, but uh, the second viewing really, um, not that I ever disliked the ending, but I liked the ending a lot more because um, it was sort of clearer to me that she was, uh, filling a a hole in her soul, you know, kind of mm-hmm. by by going back to the old house, uh, and like sort of again, like I said, saying goodbye, whereas she really didn't before to uh, her dead husband. I don't know if we mentioned the dead husband. Did you mention the dead husband? I, I think just like a little bit at the um, in the plot recap, but yeah, it, it is interesting too. Like she's so solitary throughout, but I feel like her, her dead husband's presence, especially like in the beginning where I think she's trying to figure out her steps really does kind of, 
she does a good job of like making him a character without making him there in flashbacks. Yeah, definitely. Well, you got the thing with the plates, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I noticed again on second viewing that that's like the first thing out of the storage unit in the very first scene. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I know these plates are important. As you alluded to, because I don't think we talked about him quite yet, uh, she found an, a new romance in uh, fellow nomad David Strait Aaron, uh, our, our also lone other main actor, professional actor in the group. Uh, what did you think about uh, David Strait Aaron's character? Equally great. I mean, like, like he tapped into the same kind of thing that Francis McDormand did, where they just unlocked the uh, <laughs> flawlessly being a real person thing in, in their acting uh, toolbox, um, which is amazing. Like, do all actors have this and they're just not using it? I don't know, but it's, um, and it's the kind of thing that could be tough because he's the only other, like, like you said, known actor or like, I don't know if you want to say like a real actor in the movie. So it it could be kind of weird. And I guess on some level it is when he first shows up because he's the only other face in the movie that you really recognize. So when he shows up, you're like, oh, he must be important, (laughs) you know, kind of. But he 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 settles into it. I mean, he fit he fits the the movie really well. Yeah. Definitely. And kind of what you're talking about where she he's gone home and uh, moved in with his family and she visits him. I think it's really interesting and important that the movie sort of gives her an out that she doesn't take. Because I think this that comes after she visits her sister, correct? Or am I? Yeah. Yeah. Where I like that scene because it gives her a chance to kind of stick up for herself. But it does sort of feel on the nose, like, see, sister, I'm not like you nor me people. I'm a, I'm a different nomad. And I think the, the David Strait Aaron decision challenges her a lot more and feels like a, like a harder decision. It makes the, the resolution feel more earned. Definitely. Yeah. It's a lot easier to tell your sister who you don't get along with and, <laughs> and, and other whoever those other people were um that like yeah i'm fine doing what i'm doing but yeah it's it's a little different when you know the the situation that's calling you away from that life is is actually appealing yeah and like from your life it it, it would still it's someone that she's like met on the road that knows her experiences rather than someone who's just kind of sat at the sidelines judging it sure yeah and yeah, like he he makes the choice to stop being a nomad and actually settle down. So and again, like I said, it looks it looks good. It looks nice. It looks like a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, but you have that scene where um, right before she leaves, where she's up really early in the morning before everyone else and just kind of wandering through the house, uh, going through all the rooms and stuff. And I just really felt there that like this house isn't her home, you know, mm-hmm. somebody else's home, but it's yeah. not hers. She doesn't fit in there. And like, you're living like under someone else's rules and 
you have like a portrait of her marriage, but this is just sort of her first time to be living fully on her own terms. Yeah. So again, like it, it, it makes a lot of sense as much as I was like <laughs> screaming at the screen. Uh, but it, yeah, it makes sense. And it's it makes sense for the character. So do we have any stray thoughts left on Nomadland or should um, just as Francis McDormand deserted the uh, normal life, uh, we can talk about some of the deserters in the 800. I have two things. Great. I have two things left on Nomadland. Brief. Perfect. One, I think it's real funny that there's a part where she walks past the theater that shows on the marquee that's playing the Avengers and Chloe Zhao <laughs> is now directed a Marvel movie. And, and it looks so cool. The few images we've seen of her new Marvel movie. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm radio silent. No spoilers. Uh, so I have no idea, but I believe you. <laughs> um, and uh, my other one is a question. Mm-hmm. Does this movie have, the loneliest New Year's scenes since Cavalcade. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, now you're making me think. Gosh. <laughs> you know what? I, it, it does. It does. But this proves you're loneliest when you're in a crowd. <laughs> nothing mm. will be being quite so sad and lonely on a new year's surrounded by everyone in in cavalcade even if you're you're, you're just alone by yourself in nomad land mm. anyway yeah that's all <laughs> but you know who wasn't wasn't lonely and was full of people the 800 yeah boy wow. Um, so Matt, tell us your, uh, well, first I'll give a quick, uh, synopsis for the, probably many of you who don't know what the 800 is. Um, it is a historical epic, uh, made in, uh, China by, uh, Wan Ha Hu. And, um, it takes place in the early days of the second uh, Sino-Japanese War, um, and sort of in the early days of World War II in 1937, and is a depiction of the four-day Battle of Shanghai as the Japanese army invaded Shanghai after invading North China. And this uh, one last group of soldiers held them off uh, in sort of this final standoff that feels in your mind just sort of think of the uh, battle of the alamo it's a good comparison yeah but yeah matt what, what were your overall thoughts on the 800 well wow that was a lot i mean <laughs> it's uh i knew nothing about it going in uh other than that it was a chinese war movie i didn't even know which war it was depicted mm-hmm um uh but come to find it's it's the sort of i don't know if it was a fi- I, I don't know if uh i don't know if you know either if if world war ii had like officially started yet or if it's like right before but i was trying to l- look and chart and essentially because also like I, I think 
I like the movie overall, but I think the movie works a lot better for um, people who know, know a lot more about Chinese history than uh, you or I do. Um, so apologies to listeners if you're screaming, what are these two white, white guys know about China? But from what I understood, sort of the events at the Battle of Shanghai were really important, important in getting the allied powers to sort of form and um, recognize Japan uh, as being with uh, Germany and the Nazis. Um, and so I think it was the early days, but it was also sort of like a catalyst moment. Okay. Yeah. I actually, so I, I wasn't as unfamiliar with this sort of period um, and place as I might have otherwise been, um, and, I, and I actually this is this is thanks to my my Spielberg fandom uh, because Empire of the Sun, which is a great movie, uh, picks up a few years after this, well into World War II. It starts in uh, starts in forty one, I believe, because it's the events are kicked off by uh, by Pearl Harbor happening. Um, but that's about a a initially a British family living in Shanghai in one of the safe zones, quote unquote. Um, and as soon as Pearl Harbor happens, all bets are off and the safe zones aren't safe anymore. And the Japanese army marches in. So anyway, um, Empire of the Sun make, would make a really interesting companion piece to this movie, actually. Um, well, especially because the safe zones are are very present in this movie as well. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that. So um, and that's really, I think, one of the coolest. uh you know, devices or conceits of the movie is is the the fact that this warehouse where the this last the last eight hundred Chinese soldiers are holed up, trying to fend off the Japanese army is on a river, on the other side of which is one of these safe zones, um, because Shanghai was all divided up uh, into like territories that were, um, if I'm understanding it right, owned by like different countries. And so there were these places that were full of uh, Europeans, basically, that uh, Japan couldn't invade because, you know, those are those are where the Europeans are. So that so and the whole thing, the whole last stand at this warehouse, the way it turns into a spectacle for the people on the other side of the river is just wild. <laughs> Absolutely. There's some really interesting aerial shots where you see sort of the flags on all the different uh, buildings on the other side of the river. It, it, it's really interesting. They do a good job of staging the environment. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, more, more in the, in the movie itself, it's just, it's, um, it's a pretty hardcore you know war movie <laughs> it's you know yeah you can feel a lot of the the usual influences like um you know like saving private ryan or something like that it's it's Spielberg. um <laughs> it's um but it it has um clearly a huge budget and yeah. is um is is pretty technically impressive and um you know, it's this sort of ensemble. It's a, it, no, not sort of. It's it's a true ensemble movie. There's no real protagonist. You've got like your little groups of characters that you focus on, like the the young brothers, the two uh, sort of coward guys who are just trying to get out of fighting, the one 
super stone cold badass guy. <laughs> um, you know, you have all these characters that you sort of bounce around and you check in with from time to time, but it's there's no like main protagonist. Yeah, in some ways, and I will say I was like trying to read uh, a couple of reviews just to get like what what is the even like the conversation around this movie because I was so unfamiliar and someone mentioned it feeling a lot like uh, Dunkirk, which um, mm. kind of felt like an apt comparison. And maybe this is, uh, as you said, I shouldn't have spoken for you. You know a bit more about the period. I, I was a little- Just a tiny bit. I, I was a bit more unfamiliar, but I think that, that's maybe where I was watching it and I was really enjoying the spectacle of it, but having, I never really connected much with any one specific character because I, at least in my mind, I didn't feel like we spent enough time on one thread for me to sort of figure who I'm identifying with or sort of have sort of an emotional through line rather than just a visual through line. And so it ended up, being more of just cool set pieces where they think at least Dunkirk centered a bit more on a couple people and how events sort of transpired to them that made it a uh, more of an endurance type movie. But I think also like, I know a lot, we, we've seen the battle of Dunkirk depicted in so many movies and I've seen so many pieces of art about it and just know much more, or at least I know more about that from my history classes. So I feel like, maybe that movie I was able to fill in blanks a little bit more where there would have been characters. Whereas I was like less prepared to do that here. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think comparing it to Dunkirk is a good comparison. Yeah. And I also think that the, the treating it as an ensemble movie um, and not having any one or not having any one standout character ties into sort of some of the, themes or some of the messages of the movie which also starts to get into some of the problems i have with the movie but um because because it's so it feels message wise so much about like um I'm trying to figure out how to put this in a way it doesn't sound so uh angry but I am a little bit angry about this. So I'll just say yeah. it's it's it, individuality is not something to be valued. Um, and uh, every, everyone's duty is just to make themselves part of the larger unit mm-hmm. and work as part of the larger unit and um, work towards the uh, common goal, uh, in this case, saving China. This So I have a lot of I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this movie because on the one hand, it's technically very accomplished. It looks great. It's exciting. It's, it's really well made. Um, in terms of the, the story that it's showing in, in the context of the time in which it's set, mm-hmm. you know, 1937 pre-World War II, it makes perfect sense. And it's, and it's very, you know, the way the way you have the, the Japanese army as villains and the Chinese army as heroes, because, uh, yeah, Imperial Japan at the time was horrible. And like they were just marching into China, like to, to take it over, to invade it. So it's like naturally, yes, like this is 
this is a good story where the the villains clearly are the villains and and the heroes clearly are the heroes but where it gets prickly for me is in the context of now of this movie being made by the the chinese film industry in 2020 which is very tightly supervised and controlled by the chinese government like everything in china is um also even it's a interesting through line with our other movie of today because china has also has not been very kind to chloe Zhao in the midst of all of this uh yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna bring that up too yeah and it's just so 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 china nowadays is such a uh uh not great place (laughs) for a lot of reasons um just a couple of recent examples, you know, like the their treatment of uh, people during the Hong Kong riots and the stuff that's come about about uh, putting Muslims in basically concentration camps and, you know, pretty icky, gross stuff like that. Not to mention the censorship and the, uh, you know, all of that. It's 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 kind of a yeah it's, it's not 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 a democracy china <laughs> put it that way and um so the fact that the, the this movie is made now for a for a now audience in china which again like i said the government has very strict rules about what kind of messaging is allowed in movies uh like lots of tons of american movies don't get seen over there at all because they're too against you know whatever propaganda rules mm-hmm. um so the, the the fact that the whole thing is is so kind of uh flag waving nationalistic and so like your your one and only job in life is to put everything put your life on the line for china for your country like like china is the only thing that matters and like you better you better or else be willing to sacrifice your life for the greater good of China is like really in the context of now feels like, and, and I, I kept feeling really uncomfortable whenever that kind of stuff would pop up. And it popped up through. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad you you sort of broke the seal on this because, um, and I, I, the maybe it was just the way I was watching too, because um, I realized that the version I got was dubbed. Uh, so I think mm. the baldness of the dialogue when translated just sounded even weirder and so much more propaganda y uh, ah. as I was watching it. Um, like I wrote down like some of them, just like if you see any Japanese, shoot them or like get them their back. Which we've seen like in all war movies, like we shouldn't have to like maybe or not that we shouldn't, but like there's a little more leeway with like PC triggers and stuff that you can say in a movie. But the I the point of view was never of any character. It did feel like it was this sort of larger point of view and very it felt just very patriotic uh, in a way that's like trying to have today be patriotic and look at this as an example of good behavior that we want emulated. And maybe that's myself reading too much into it, but 
it, no, I don't think so. No, it, like watching it, it did make it. You always want to ask yourself, like, what when I'm watching a movie, like, what was it made for? And I found myself asking that question a lot, just like very early into the movie. And as you watch it, it because even though it does become this sort of suicide mission or whatnot, there is this sort of glamorization of it almost like this isn't a movie about like how horrible war is or like the horrors of war or whatnot and it's more about a valiant act which there are plenty of movies about like war is a valiant feat um and also a lot of those are are icky as well but it just there there just was a lot of bad context around around it that made it just feel you you could watch the spectacle and turn your brain off, or you could sort of the the minute you sort of peel back the questions, you peel it back a little more, and then it's just whoa. Well, that's what's really tough about it is because the event that they chose to depict to make the movie about is, like I was saying earlier, pretty unimpeachable. Like, mm-hmm. um, at the time, this event in 1937 clearly. Japan, the Jap- Japan was the bad guys. Like, yeah. and 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 the the Chinese um, army, all of them that that are depicted in this movie, in the context of that original event, absolutely were heroes. I mean, because they were the, the only ones left defending de- defending the country. You know, and and it's. Um, or at least the city, you know, um, and you know, nobody needs to be reminded. I mean, Imperial Japan in World War II, it's like, you know, uh, they don't get as much attention in like movies and stuff, uh, as the Nazis, but they, in, in terms of like doing, doing bad things, they're, they're pretty much the, uh, they're two peas in a pod, you know. So it's yeah, it's and- it's like definitely historically, it's like well, yeah, okay, but yeah, in the modern context, I, I mean, that last shot of the movie where they show the the warehouse in uh, in modern day Shanghai, and it's like, see, <laughs> the whole the whole message ends up being geared towards be like these guys, like save save China, even though China's not really under direct threat anymore if anything they are the ones directly threatening lots of other people well and i don't even think like you could make a better version of this movie by humanizing imperial japan but i think like something that i if there's any like characters i sort of glommed on a little bit to were quote-unquote the deserters or the kind of people that were like uh running about like through the water and stuff even when the movie tried to give characters maybe somewhat differing opinions they didn't really and there was just sort of a a strong like one point of view you kind of knew what this movie was trying to say and why it was there rather than just trying to have sort of a more interesting nuanced depiction of a brave action during a very horrific uh battle and you, you you just felt the intent th- throughout and it was hard to shake <laughs> there's a lot of because i feel like so you've got certain 
tropes in war movies a lot of the time like like mm-hmm. the coward character who doesn't want to fight and a lot of the time at least in the last maybe 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 war movies like older war movies I mean, i'm talking american american war movies maybe in older ones they would they would treat them sort of the same as they do in this movie but i feel like in more recent times they're they tend to be kind of sympathetic characters that the the movies don't i mean it depends on the movie but they're not outright condemned in the way that they really are in this movie and um there's like a lot of scenes of uh deserters or or wannabe deserters getting shot as they run away and then the character just says like you know something like don't do that we're here to fight or else and like oh man there's that one line that really stood out to me one of the observers on the other side of the river uh i think i want to say it's during the part where like all those guys are are strapping grenades to themselves and mm-hmm. just throwing themselves at the at the japanese army uh someone says if only every chinese was so brave yeah. where it's just like uh i don't know it's it's weird it's it's a it's a sequence where you know a ton of guys start just strapping all these grenades to themselves and throwing themselves at the enemy like uh you know suicide bombers literally and hey it's 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 treated with a lot of reverence it's glorified it's glorified is what it is yeah and i'm and i'm not sure uh, yeah and and then you get that slow push in on someone who's watching this from across the river and just says, if only everyone was like that and that feels like it's speaking to the audience watching like to the to a chinese audience watching be like you you better be ready to do this for your country like this is what's expected of you and uh yeah i don't like that <laughs> No, and apparently this was supposed to come out in 2019 or at a premiere at the Shanghai Film Festival. And essentially, uh, this is a non-government group, but the Chinese Red Culture Researchers Association and like a bunch of WeChat audiences had the, a lot of these same strong thoughts and specifically around the um, glorification of the uh, Kuomintang army and... Uh, there was 13 minutes that were trimmed to accommodate for the feedback, which I can only imagine what, what the 13 more explicit uh, propaganda minutes m- might have been like. But really, it's, wow! It, it, it it's just sort of a interesting, yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm just echoing everything that you're you're saying about this, uh, <laughs> and it's it's. It's frustrating just because of the, the world being what it is. Because it's, it's, um, it, is, it is a really good movie and it's, it's, I feel bad. It's um, clearly a ton of uh, care went into it. I mean, as, a, as you said, it's basically a series of kind of action set pieces. They're all really well executed i mean the the stunt work the 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 camera work the 
practical effects uh, it's it's all really really impressive and it's it's like tense and and thrilling and all the things that it like is intending to be mm-hmm. but um yeah i don't know i did want to if if uh i did want to bring up the uh the chloe Zhao thing because uh yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of articles after the Oscars about this, um, where uh, China, as part of its national propaganda stuff, the uh, they're they're very proud of their film industry. You know, they like to mm-hmm. they like to consider it on par, if not better than Hollywood. You know, which actually, based on this movie, I, I mean, they're kind of they are kind of there, honestly. They they, they make good stuff, but <laughs> but. Uh, so, so they're very, they're very proud whenever uh, a Chinese movie or a Chinese filmmaker or really Chinese anything uh, related to movies wins like any award. Like they're very, anytime anything China related is at the Oscars, they, they, it's all over the news over there. It's like, hey, look at this. We're so awesome. Like Oscars, like, haha. And so Nomadland is directed by Chloe Zhao, who was born in China. Mm-hmm. And so I believe initially, like before before Oscars, but around like uh, what was it like Golden Globes and stuff? Yeah, they were really like like hey, look at this! Like someone from here is is directed this movie that's getting all this awards attention. Like isn't that cool? And then somebody found an old interview with her where she was like directly critical of China, kind of for the stuff that we've been talking about. And they immediately like went radio silent on covering the movie on covering Nomadland over there. And by extension, kind of the Oscars, yeah. um, the, uh, the censorship went into overdrive on social media. Um, I was reading like any tweet that mentioned the Oscars at all, let alone Chloe Zhao's name or Nomadland or anything got deleted. And it was just like, they very quickly went into this mode of like, no one is about to talk about her or her movie or the Oscars or anything just because she said in an interview, like, like 10 years ago or more that China kind of sucks. I mean, very interesting presence of China at the Oscars this year. There's also the documentary short subject, do not split, which was about the, the recent Hong Kong riots. That was really, really well done that that's worth watching. Well, maybe that had something to do with it too. And so I think that 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 helped them just say "fuck you, Oscars." Um, but I think too, and I'm less familiar with the the Chinese film industry. But what's so nice? I don't want to say what's so nice about the American film industry, but you look at something like *Nomadland*, which is you know what the American film industry has named the best film of the year. And we do a f- our fair bit of patting ourselves on the back. Hello, Green Book. Um, <laughs> but also like, hello, something like The Artist, which is just like a big circle jerk for everyone in Hollywood. But a movie that I think critics of *Nomadland* could say that it could be a hard, it could take a harder stance or harder look on American consumerism. But it is talking about our our current economic state has left a good deal of Americans without many options. And these nomads are like Fern is forced into this situation. She then like finds independence and finds a home. 
but it is forced there because of economic insecurity. And uh, I mean, I'd love, and we're kind of circling back to Nomadland and I promise we'll circle back to the 800, but even then like there was still a good bit of controversy around Nomadland around just having Amazon depicted, even though I wouldn't, I would say that that also is like more of a matter of fact depiction that someone in Vern's situation would would end up working at one of these Amazon plants. And also that all that hard work is only for temporary work that doesn't really even help her establish a home. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, how can Amazon have a, can Jeff Bezos be this incredibly like giant billionaire, but people who work for him and make the company go can't even afford to live somewhere other than their car. Yeah. I don't find the depiction <laughs> of Amazon and Nomadland flattering in the slightest. <laughs> so no, not, but not sure what people are complaining about there, but I think just even just like having it there, but the fact that we're celebrating a movie that has something to say about our country and our state that isn't exactly positive, I think is a, is what art and what art should be. It should be reflecting our time and our place and how we view the world and what we can do to make the world a better place. And judging the 800 through that lens, it's certainly made with a purpose in mind, but there's, it's sort of very specific agenda really blunts a lot of really good work in it. Yeah. And I mean, definitely America's plenty guilty of a lot of the same things. I mean, cause there's that whole thing where uh, like any movie there, there, there are some rules in place, any, any American movie that actually gets the help of the American military to like oh, appear, yeah. appear in the movie. And like, if they want to use tanks and, and vehicles and t- stuff they have to show the, the like they, they have to show the military in a somewhat flattering light you know yeah and i mean there's stuff like that so it, it's like it's it, america and the american film industry has plenty of plenty of problems oh, on absolutely. its own but but at the same time i do think it's very fair to say that china's way worse <laughs> and uh just you know take any like any American movie about the Vietnam war. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't make any of those in China <laughs> about like, and, and say the same things about China that, that those movies tend to do about America. You know what I mean? Exactly. So like, at least like America's pretty terrible in a lot of ways too, but at least, <laughs> at least we, at least we are still allowed to say it out loud you know exactly and if our podcast gets taken down off of soundcloud this is why i hope someone on the dark web found it oh no i'm joking yeah <laughs> yeah i'm so i'm I'm sorry for my ranting i i i had no, originally i had originally and well i had i had intended to be a little more balanced in actually talking about the movie and then talking about why china sucks but it, it turned into mostly just talking about why china sucks <laughs> well I'll, I'll let you pick is there any one uh one specific element of the the movie that sort of wowed you between the the, the feelings of okay <laughs> <laughs> i i think i kind of already said it to be honest just on a technical level it's really really impressive um 
because, uh, well, I don't know. It's just really well shot. It looks real good. I was, what did I, <laughs> yeah, my second note. First one was mouse because it starts <laughs> off on a shot of a mouse. But my second note was just looks great. And it does. The cinematography is great. The production design is great. It's like really top notch. Um, again, like China's proud of their film industry and, and based on the work on display in this movie, rightly so. Speaking of things that would have been great on uh, the biggest screen possible, it's interesting. That this, so this movie was shot entirely on IMAX cameras and you you can sort of see even just from like the way that the shots are structured or like between the nights, how they like go in for these like big grandiose money shots. It's it, it does always feel crafted for maximum theatrical impact. And I can only imagine just kind of seeing it with with that full scope sort of realized. Um, my only other note that we didn't really touch on, um, and this might just be the bad dubbed version that I was given when rented it, but um, there's the, the, the script often goes for the lowest common denominator, not just in how it wants to celebrate China, but just th- throughout. And so there is one where there's just this crate, uh, I believe like the two cowards were like play me, playing with like their flamethrower or whatnot. And just this, line of ADR goes on like don't play with the flamethrower there's gas behind you're going to explode but it's like said in the way that was stepped just complete monotone had me cry for a good two minutes I remember that part but yeah I watched the movie in Chinese so yeah it's good for good for you I definitely had to (laughs) the 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 cognitive dissonance was hard because whoever whoever has done the dubbing on that movie bad job i think you use the same person for every character and so everyone <laughs> just sounded exactly the same and it was so so maybe that's also why i had trouble emotionally connecting to some of the Could the, be. the subplots yeah i mean i look i think i think it the the performances are great i think that it's the the set pieces are all distinct it's for a movie that's nearly wall-to-wall action it it didn't feel monotonous for me because uh they kept getting put into new situations and the stakes kept changing and it was all it was all really good but hey just that that it started off as a quiet voice in the back of my head that was like this this is something doesn't feel like some of the insidious messaging just kept creeping through and then by the end of the movie the quiet voice in the back of my head was much louder and it was like this is propaganda and i was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) well you you heard it here first listeners on the people versus oscar so with that um pitting our uh, Chinese film makers against each other. Matt, are you going to go with the people or with Oscar for this uh, year? I'm definitely going with Oscar. And congratulations to Chloe Zhao. No, yeah, No Man Land is a great movie that was that was really awesome. And uh, 800, I wish I could have liked it. And uh, who knows, maybe if the the government over there wasn't so mm, the way it is uh maybe the maybe the people who wrote and directed the 800 could have uh made something a little less 
icky if they were uh, if if they if they weren't basically commanded to do so. So uh, I hope that for the for the sake of people, normal people in China, that stuff gets better over there. Absolutely. Uh, Not to turn this into like a soapbox moment or anything or like some kind of thing but just it's you know it's it's some it's some serious stuff and it just keeps sticking in my brain so well i think when we watch films like i think it's important to talk about what voice we know because it's not even just like what we see on the screen it's like what does that mean for the time that it's taking place in what's being said and sort of what's what's the context filtered through of of the messing of the of this movie now that we're up in the present we kind of don't have the benefit of of hindsight or whatnot um we're just kind of talking about you know what what's going on currently in our world and uh viewing the movies through that lens and yeah the the 800 was very, very crunchy uh, along all those metrics. And I echo Matt's sentiments, even though mine came out a bit more like a word soup. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also vote for the Oscars. Uh, way to go, Chloe Zhao. Um, first woman of color to win Best Director. Second woman in general to win Best Director. Lots of amazing uh, firsts this year. And... Um, yeah, very, very, very happy that a, a Chloe Zhao film, film is a Best Picture winner, which I think like five years ago would have sound crazy that a quiet contemplative movie about van life would would be here. And so happy that it is. Do you think there will be any quiet contemplative fa- van life in The Eternals? You know what? I, I don't want to spoil uh, any anything to come but i did see salma hayek in a van at <laughs> um and you know there there's also a sad barbecue photo where um angelina Angel, angelina was really trying out her like normie look just kind of staring at salma hayek going why are you like the way you are so there might be some similarities we'll see Awesome. Brian Tyree Henry was at an Amazon plant with um, <laughs> uh, w- with Salma Hayek at one point. So we can only, time will only tell. And with that, um, as our sign off, I'm doing it a little bit differently this year, but only because um, 2020 was quite a bit different. Um, Matt, if say the world was different, um, and there wasn't COVID, what movies would you have expected we would have done for the year 2020 for The People and Oscar? Wow. That's really difficult, actually. You know what? I think that the, at least on the Oscar side of things, the Oscars work similarly enough COVID or no COVID that I feel like Nomadland might have still had a shot at, at Best Picture. I think. 
mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, highest grossing movie, on the other hand, completely different story, obviously. <laughs> I think uh, I'm trying to remember all the stuff that was supposed to come out last year, but didn't. Because um, it would, because the first instinct is to say like some Marvel movie, but there weren't any, like the Avengers stuff is over, at least for now. It was only going to be kind of smaller smaller but you know what i mean smaller marvel movies like black widow and stuff i think maybe uh was eternals i forget anyway yeah eternals was supposed to be in november so that's oh it was okay um just to piggyback on the answer that you already gave um i think it would have been a much more contentious fight for the win but i think i think weirdly the eternals would have helped um if not helped Nomadland get Best Picture, I think would have definitely helped Chloe Zhao get Best Director for Nomadland. Mm, yeah. Uh, I like to think that uh, something like No Time to Die could have been the People movie uh, had it come out last year. But uh, Bond isn't as popular with moviegoers as he is in my heart. Um I don't know the worldwide grosses. I, I feel like it gets it can get up there. Yeah, I guess just because the the last time we had one on the podcast was in the seventies. Yeah, so <laughs> there's always something like like they do very well. They're very popular, but something is always higher. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's a tough one. Mostly because I can't remember what was originally supposed to come out last year. Most of the stuff that's coming out this year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, maybe Fast and Furious. That that was my no time to die. I was just like, in my heart, wouldn't have been great for F9 to have been our movie. Um, or maybe it, maybe Wonder Woman even. What, but see, I don't know if Wonder Woman 1984 would end up outgrossing wonder woman one just because that one had so such good legs at the box office Mm. i'm gonna go with f9 for now there's also a part of me maybe this is just like the hopeful um exciting part of me and this could have also been an an awards challenger if it was this good but very excited for dune and oh yeah um I, i'm i'm not expecting dune to blow up the box office though <laughs> I, th- I think it'll have warner is expecting that so <laughs> well i'm a huge fan of the book i've read the book um and it's really good but like really weird and kind of boring if you do it if you adapt it like faithfully so i'm kind of expecting to I'm expecting to love the movie, but I'm also expecting it to have like a huge first weekend and then a very dramatic drop after that. I mean, we'll see, but. Well, I guess that's kind of what happened with Blade Runner 2049. So maybe I shouldn't have been as optimistic in my guess. I just, I well, yeah, I mean, that's another reason. I uh, That's another movie that I love. And uh, given that it's the same director and, I can see based on how Denis Villeneuve makes a sci-fi movie from watching that and then also having read Dune and seeing those two things combined in my head, what comes out the other end doesn't equal like blockbuster crowd pleaser, (laughs) but we'll see. 
I, I will say my fiance Ken has weighed in that he believed in the Heights would have won 14 Oscars and grossed $200 billion uh, worldwide <laughs> on the low end. So if you, if you think I'm the worst box office prognosticator in the house, think again. <laughs> 200 billion. Well, yep. He, his follow-up question was, okay, fine. How much did the Avengers gross? And I was like, end game, like 2.7. And he was like, Great. I stand by it. 200 million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, well, Matt, it's always great to be back in the podcasting booth. And uh, It's great that we've caught up to the present, but I, I look forward. I hope all of you listeners look forward to your annual dose of the People versus Oscar from here on out. <laughs> yeah. You know what we should do? We should start getting a... Uh... We should, we should start trying to push to uh, get on the uh, red carpet at the next one. We really should, because it'll be in person uh, by, by then. So I think I think we could really do it. We'll ask um, all the nominees what, just like give them each a random year. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was thinking too. Like, so what's your opinion on the the uh, the best picture race in 1937? And are do you agree with the winner? And what do you think should have won if not? Oh my gosh! Well, we know all of the acting winners will be there next year, so um, we could ask Francis McDormand. What are your thoughts on like 1947 or 46? Are you the Long Weekend or are you Mom and Dad? And she'll probably say, shut up. She, she'll spit in my face and say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but wouldn't that be great? I, You know what? Let's. That should uh, be our dream. That should be our, our, our ultimate, uh, our ultimate goal uh, before we die. <laughs> we're going to manifest it. Oscars, you've heard it here first. Let yeah. us on the red carpet. We might embarrass you, but it will be great. We'll mostly just embarrass ourselves. Exactly. You can laugh at us. There, I mean, there have been dumber questions asked in that press booth. Oh, undeniably. And not even on purpose. Like, my dumb questions would at least be dumb on purpose. They, they wouldn't be asking Ye Jung Yoon what Brad Pitt smells like. Yeah, no. I would ask dumb questions that I had carefully considered and written down and be like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> It'll also just be your type five. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'll have business cards that I'll hand out after we're done. <laughs> Perfect. All right, that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.